Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning to uh, worship the Lord together. And those who are the best worshipers are the ones who know they're the neediest. The neediest. Jesus said at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't make sense until you realize he's saying, Bless those who know how impoverished spiritually they are. If you know how needy you are for more of God, you make the best worshiper. And I hope, I hope that's you today, that you sense a deep need for God. And in so doing, the community of faith becomes more valuable as uh, we come together to worship. Let's pray to him as we continue. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us together. Thank you for putting us in this particular community and what we can learn from one another and how we can serve one another and care for each other. And I thank you, Father, that um, even though we are not who we're to be, even though we, we have all our struggles to deal with, nevertheless, you are the faithful one. And we are so thankful. And we bring you all that we are today that comes in all forms of brokenness and scarring, disobedience. Some here today have grown vastly in the Lord. Others inch by inch, but by the blood of Christ, we are together, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Romans 7. You can't do life without people. Relationships are just a part of life. The saddest funeral I ever did was uh, there was one person in the audience, and it was a distant neighbor of the deceased. And there was no one else to be there. I thought, what a sad existence to be cut off. We don't, we don't want a life like that. We, we need people. And all of us have people that get under our skin. You know, they, they may be people you know you're supposed to love, and you do love them, but for, uh, you'll take them for about five minutes, and then you need separation. You have people like that? Sure you do. Don't act too spiritual, okay? Yes, we all have people. We preachers deal with relationships a lot. And every preacher has church members that get under their skin. And there's one guy in this church that makes me miserable. I'm just telling you. He's always get, You think it's your husband, don't you? No. There's one person that's always getting under my skin. I, I can't, sometimes I can't tolerate him. It's me. I have to deal with me. And I get so frustrated with myself because my my desire doesn't always match my performance. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better uh, father, grandfather. I want to be a better minister and preacher. I really want that, but my performance just doesn't always live up to what my desire is. Now, if you wrestle with the same thing I wrestle with, this text is for you. There are a lot of ways that we don't identify with the Apostle Paul because he is so theologically astute. He is, he, I mean, some of his sentences are a paragraph long. And we think, I'll, I'll, I mean, be like Jesus. I can't even be like the Apostle Paul. And we get to this text, however, and we can so relate to what he is saying. My name is Steve, and I'm a sinner, and I'm in recovery. And I will be in recovery for the rest of my life. And I hope that's how you see yourself as well. Because that's how Paul saw himself. Although I'm a follower of Jesus, I am not yet who he has called me to be. I too often want to make life more about me than about him. I want my desires, not his. I want to run my life, and not him to do it. And I don't really think it that way. 
but my behavior suggests that. Paul, in the text today, uses a personal pronoun, I, me, my, myself, some 40 times because he's struggling. Verse, verse uh, 14, chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law, I'm sorry. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, by, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, be careful there. We want to say at that verse, oh, good, yeah, the devil made me do it. He's, he's, he's not, he's not washing his hands of responsibility. He's just saying, you know, this isn't who I want to be. 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that I myself in my mind am a slave to sin, to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I said before in the last couple of weeks that we learn salvation and we live salvation in three tenses. We have the past tense that we have been saved. That's called justification. We've been justified, this legal declaration that I am declared not guilty, although I am still struggling in sin. That's a legal term. We have declared justified, even though we don't deserve it, even though we know our guilt. That's made possible by the blood of Christ, justification. Hope you get that through and through. That's why I keep saying it every week. We are being saved. The Bible's theological term for that is sanctification. I am being sanctified. I am being made more like Christ. So I'm growing up in salvation as you are all the time. I'm in the process of becoming more like Christ. That's why we keep growing in the word together and prayer together and serving one another and so forth. And I'm going to be saved and that a day will come when I will be given a new body. My body is going to be redeemed fully as well as my soul and my spirit, and no longer will I even be tempted by sin. The tempter won't be there. No pain, sorrow, suffering. That, that's called glorification. So I've been justified because I was washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says. I am in the period of sanctification now, and I'm going to be glorified someday. That's salvation in three tenses. Now, what Paul is writing about, of course, is the middle section, salvation in the present tense. Now, there are some who say, well, Paul must be writing in retrospect. He's thinking about his life before he was converted to Christ. But I don't think there's any clue in this text that he is pointing to something before Christ. He is acknowledging his present struggle and growing. 
Philippians 1.6, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we are being transformed to look like Christ. And Paul's acknowledging the struggle. Who here cannot claim a struggle? If you don't feel a struggle going on in your life, you are either not walking with Christ or you're in the process of backsliding away from him. If you... If, if you don't know such struggle Paul's writing about here, you are in a dangerous territory. Because a growing disciple of Christ will always be wrestling within and identifying things within that are just not becoming of Christ, our Lord and Savior. And, and we have to work through it. I find this text encouraging, not because it gives me freedom to not worry about my struggle, but it helps me know that this giant of the faith knew the same struggle I, I face. And yet, when I look at Paul's life, I see him as such a giant. And, and he, he, he is somebody I can look to for inspiration, even though he struggles. Isn't that why we love to be together in our life groups and with one another in worship and have friendships in the Lord? Because we share our struggles. We share our burdens. We can be real. If, if you can't be honest with anybody in your life and your spiritual struggle, you, you will not be able to grow as well. Everybody needs somebody they're being totally honest with and real with. And we, and, and we encourage each other in the journey. So, take encouragement. None of us are immature. Now, some of us are maturer than others. Some are immature in faith. Some are growing in faith. Some are, 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 are growing further in maturity. But nobody is fully mature. And none of us will be. But be encouraged. First of all, a maturing Christian keeps confessing to God. He keeps confessing to God. We never stop in identifying and confessing our struggle with temptation and sin because we're never fully mature. Now, be careful if you think you are. Be careful if, if, if somebody asks you about your spiritual life and you can easily say, yeah, I'm good. You're probably not so good. There, 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 there needs to be, and I know what we all mean to one another, that we feel like we're in a good place spiritually, but there's never a time when everything is in place as it ought to be. Paul knows the struggle. There's a war inside of him, he says. And, and, and if you're stuck, it's going to start going in the adverse direction. So our nature, our, we are, our old nature lives by the flesh. Our old nature lives by the flesh. The new nature lives by the spirit, okay? We have two natures, the old nature of the flesh, the new nature of the spirit. Now, here's a chart that I think just shows it well. This is kind of a continuum. And so, uh, right in the middle there is where we come to Christ. So, before Christ, you, you, you can be a, we can be really moral, nice, good people. People you'd like as your neighbors, uh, somebody you'd like as your son-in-law, or, or, or your brother, whatever, you know? Good guys. Everything's good. But it's still the old nature because there's a capital I there that I still call the shots in my life. There's no recognition of a real problem with my creator. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, I can't focus on the negative. I'm just going to be a better person, that kind of thing. That person is still working by works of works under the works, shows works of the flesh. Now, it could be so far as completely sold out to the world. This is the person who has no conscience, who, who lives the party life, who just, you know, just uh, no standards hardly at all. Everything up to just a little bit in the old. But all of it is works of the flesh. If it's without Christ, you see? 
black heart, capital I, old nature. We come to Christ, we're given a new nature, a new heart. And it's a little I, because now I don't rule. It's not capital anymore. It's a little I, because I'm off the throne. Christ is on the throne. And then I start, as I grow in him, exhibiting evidence of that by fruit in the, of the spirit that is born out of my life. We'll look at it in just a minute. So, so Paul is saying, and we know it by his life, there's all this fruit being born by him. Nevertheless, this old nature keeps cropping up, even by some of the choices he probably makes, or where he's not being careful about temptation. I think we can all identify with this so much, and we, get, we can get so discouraged in our, in our journey because we wish we were better than we are. We wish we were more mature than we are. But, but, but the more we recognize this struggle between the, the tension between this draw of the world and, and our desire to be like Christ, the, the healthier we're going to be when we acknowledge it before the Lord, when we confess this to the Lord and ask for his power. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. In other words, there's nothing we can do about that. Now, what he means is, you know, we can all, anybody, you don't have to go to church to be a better person. A lot of people throughout the world become better people by just life experience. I'm not going to do that anymore because that's that's a bad thing to do. So their conscience changes them. We're talking about the true cure of the heart. A new heart has to come only through Jesus Christ. So... And I think this is best illustrated maybe with Jesus in the garden when he says to his three closest friends, stay here and watch and pray with me. And he comes back three times and they're snoozing. And finally he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of us can identify with that, right? So, Paul then, in Galatians 5, says the same thing he's saying here in Romans 7, but gives us further instruction. Galatians 5 verse 7. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires was contrary to the spirit, and the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh, okay, so here's the works of flesh. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, that's premarital sex. That is extramarital sex. Uh, The Greek word is porneia, so it has to do with pornography, has to do with any kind of sexual sin that that we commit in our lives. Impurity, there are all kinds of impurities even outside sexual sins. Debauchery would be a person who lives without boundaries. Whatever he feels like doing, he does. He doesn't have much of a conscience, uh, right right or wrong, no moral conscience, Uh, idolatry. Idolatry, I said last week, is anything that you say you must have in order to give your life meaning. If I don't have a kid, my life will mean nothing. If I don't get married, my life is nothing. If I don't get that job, I'm a loser. You know, if if I don't get a raise, if I don't get promoted, if I don't live there, if I don't drive this, whatever that is, that's what idolatry is. Witchcraft, interesting word. The word is pharmaceia where we get our word pharmacy, 
And you, you, what conjures up in our minds is like potions of witches. And our present, uh, our, in our present culture, it would really be addiction to legal or illegal drugs. I think that would be included here. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. If you like to stir things up at school or on the campus, at work, in your family, you like getting the family riled up, you, you do it at church or in your life group, you, you, like, you, you cause dissension by gossip, you like to stir, that, that, those are works of the flesh when you do that. Envy, when, when, when we're envious, we're basically saying to God, God, your stuff's not enough for me. What you've given me is really insufficient. I want what he has. That's why, that's why envy is such, a, is such a sad sin and a grievous sin. It's one of the things God hates. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Says it so well. And don't we identify with this? Now, he says here, we've crucified that with its passions and desires. Nevertheless, what about this? What about these sin things that come up? Well, by God's view of things, the blood of Christ on us, that's been crucified. By our decision to follow Christ, we have crucified. We're saying, I don't want, I don't want to live contrary to God. Nevertheless, our, the sin nature is hard to keep buried. It still wants to rear its head. Bono says this, and I think he says it so well. Your nature is a hard thing to change. It takes time. I've heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds. People set free from addiction after a single prayer. Relationships saved where both parties let go and let God. But it was not like that for me. For all that I was lost, I am found. It's probably more accurate to say I was really lost. I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less and a little less again. That to me is the spiritual life. The slow reworking and rebooting the computer at regular intervals. Reading the small print of the service manual. It has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It's taken years though and it's not over yet. I can relate to that. This process of growing to be like Christ. Second, a maturing Christian keeps hungering for God. If you ever get satisfied where you are, that's a danger zone. There always needs to be in place this hungering for more and a fleeing from the things, an increased fleeing from the things that oppose God. Three questions for us all today. First of all, can you honestly say, I want to obey Christ? Now, be honest. You know, you have to honestly answer, Do I, can you say, I really want to obey Christ? You know, some people sit in church and they don't really want to. Do you? Verse 18 says, I know that good does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, there's some good news, but please don't abuse what I'm saying. You could run amok. I'm going to trust you with it. That God cares more about your desire than your performance. Now, don't abuse it. Don't say, well, yeah, I want to do better. 
without change, and that's all you are? Yeah, I know. I really intend to. Now, if you only live under the canopy of intentions and there's never productivity, there's never fruit, that's just a lie you're telling yourself. Nobody else believes it, especially God. We'll often look at King David because God looked at him and said, look, here's a man after my own heart. And in God's foreknowledge, he knew that David was going to be an adulterer and a murderer. Well, for crying out loud, you know, if, if, if David's like that, I mean, I'm not a murderer and, a, and an adulterer, she, you know, I'm, I'm, I should be in good shape. No, look at the entirety of David's life. How could God say that of David, a man from my own heart? All you have to do is spend time in the Psalms. And David knows God and he hungers for him. He cries out for more of God and there's a blip there in his life. When he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And there's a blip at other times in his life. When he doesn't do things perfectly. And God in a God honoring way. But in the general picture of his life. He hungers for God. Now you know we have this little saying. Says, well it's a thought that counts. Well how many times can your kid use that on you? Well dad I meant to obey you. I just I wanted to. <laughs> you know. Well it doesn't mean much in time Right? Because you want action. You don't want just, well, well I don't want to do it. I just, did, I, didn't want, I just didn't do it. Well, it just doesn't hold water, right? You may take it once or twice. But in time, that desire has to give way to action. So hear what I'm saying? Well, God cares more about, about desire than performance. So in other words, we're here this morning. That's why we cannot be judges of one another even here today. Now, we can be judges of some behaviors where the Bible speaks. But, but, you know, you're, we're in church, right? You're looking pretty good. Looked in the mirror today. Picked out the right clothes to wear. Everybody looks on top of their game today. But only God knows why you're here today. Is this really where you desire to be? Or you'd rather be on the course? You know, or whatever. You know, you get the picture, right? You understand. You're smart people. Uh, you know, the offering basket will go. Or, the, or maybe you give offering on the, on the app on your phone. Only God knows if you gave cheerfully, as the Bible instructs. Only God knows if you give sacrificially. Only God knows if you give to an extent that it affects your, adversely, your lifestyle that you live. Only God knows that. That's why we can't be the judge of anybody else regarding giving our offerings. See? That, that's why we, 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 we have to be careful that we are not self-deceived. Do you want to obey Christ? Can you honestly say, I love to obey Christ? That, that you love the joy of that. Paul said in verse 22, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Do you? Do you love to, to find out what God has to say in his word? Do you love it when you are tempted? You're with a group of people. The conversation's going in the wrong direction and you're going to turn that conversation or you're going to somehow kindly remove yourself so that you don't get trapped and go further because it wouldn't be God honoring. Do you know, can you do that and feel great joy because you did that? Or there's an action, activity, party, whatever. And you know, I, that would not be healthy for me at this stage of my life to be a part of that conversation or that action or, or whatever is kind of, can I, do you love that? You know, sometimes when we're driving on the interstate, I'll feel Diana's eyes go that way to, to her left. And I know what she's doing. She's looking at the speedometer. <laughs> and, and how fast are you going, she'll say. 
And you know, usually what I say, I'm just going to the flow of traffic. How many of you said that? You sinners. Yeah, yeah flow, of tra- flow of traffic is the way to go, you know. You know, just get, that's what happens in culture. We so easily get in the flow of traffic. This is where culture's moving. And in time, when you let that happen, we, we lose this discernment between what God desires and what the world expects or sees or acknowledges is fine. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the word. That's why we need the spirit of God in us and so forth. So let's praise him when we make right choices by the power of the Lord within us. And can you honestly say, I will obey Christ? Is that the commitment of your life? Somebody pictures it like a couple of dogs in your life. You've got a wild dog and you've got a tame dog. And they're, they're, they're fighting each other. There's a great dog fight going on. Anyway, which one's going to win? Which one's going to win? What's well, the one you feed the most? If you feed the wild dog, then the wild dog's going to win. But, but, but if you feed the, the dog that's under submission, that dog is going to win the dog fight. And so that's why we worship together. That's why we're in life groups together. That's, that's, that's not performance as a Christian. That's the way we feed the right dog. By being in community. By being real with one another. By, by, by confessing our sins. By loving God's word. It is truth. By valuing our time holding the emblems, the body, and the blood of Christ and remembering what he did for us. You see, that's feeding. That's, that's more than just doing the church thing. That's feeding the right dog, the right nature in our lives. Can you honestly say, I will obey Christ? So a maturing Christian keeps confessing God, keeps hungering for God, and keeps surrendering before God. We keep surrendering. Uh, and you may notice, when you, know, you read all these eyes, these personal pronouns of Paul, he never gets to the Holy Spirit, it seems. Never gets to the Holy Spirit. And that's always what happens in our struggle for, with sin is, is, is it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. But he does get to the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit is the antidote. The Holy Spirit is God's presence within us. We cannot become who God wants us to be without this presence of this power within us. And the Holy Spirit is not the sinner. You know, some people sometimes say to me, you know, you don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Well, I think I talk about the Holy Spirit. He's just not the primary thing I talk about. But there's a reason for that. Even in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is never the centerpiece. It's always Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to glorify the Son of God, Jesus. And so we do acknowledge the Holy Spirit. We welcome him through all these spiritual disciplines into our lives to move in us to bear this fruit in our lives, which is the fruit of Christ and for his ultimate glory because he's the one sitting at the right hand of God the Father and all power and glory and honor is being given to him. See, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ. Here's the agony of Paul. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Some commentators believe that, Jesus, that Paul is referring to times before Christ when kings would pronounce condemnation on a man and he would literally be chained to a corpse face to face and be sickened, of course, by that position, by the odor not being able to eat or drink. 
and the actual decay of the corpse would start affecting the flesh of the condemned man until he died. That that's the graphic picture that Paul has, perhaps. Who will rescue me from this corpse? From the sin nature? The answer, Christ Jesus has done it. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Now, I want you to remember that when the Apostle Paul writes his letter to the Romans, uh, there are no chapters and verses, no divisions. Uh, the, the chapters and verses were added later for man's benefit to find things in the Bible. But when Paul was writing, there was no division. And the next few weeks to come, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And right now, he comes right into chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Read them out loud with me. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this best of news. That under the blood of Christ, we do not have to limb, live condemned lives. For we have been rescued. Thank you. And I pray for anyone in this assembly today, Father, who has not surrendered, who has not laid down their lives before you. I pray today will be a day they move a little bit more closely to knowing you as Lord of life. Father, in our struggle with sin and temptation, please, please do not give up on us. But take us on to the day of fullness in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.